My name is Andrew Gommerson, and it is my immense privilege to join you each week for the Speaking for Him podcast. It is my prayer that this podcast will be a great encouragement to you as you navigate this journey that we call the Christian life, knowing, as I've said many times before, that this journey is not a sprint, but is a marathon. And today I will be sharing with you my five favorite books from 2022. One of the things that we need to do as believers is make sure that we are being edified by the things we watch on TV and the things that we read um, and other areas of our life. So I try to share with you five titles each year that have been particularly encouraging to me, and I hope that you will enjoy this. I've made it a practice the last few years to write down every book that I read, and it's kind of fun to look back and see what I've accomplished through the years. This past year, it was kind of a challenge when I was coming up with this podcast uh, episode uh, because I only read 21 books, and that may sound like a lot to you, but in 2021, I read... 52 books. One thing that I think has contributed to this is the fact that I used to commute a lot for work. And so I would be listening to audiobooks on my way to and from work. And I realized that not having those commutes has really cut down on my reading. So I don't know yet what 2023 holds in this area, but I'm excited to share with you in a few minutes what 2022 gave me as far as quality reads. So I hope that you'll enjoy this, and if you feel like it's beneficial, that you'll share it with your family and friends. And I just hope to give you some good reading material as we navigate the rest of winter. It's hard to believe that we are at the end of January, and we are cruising into February very soon, Uh, Next time I am behind the mic with you, it will be February, as a matter of fact. And so that's just mind-blowing, but I hope that you will enjoy this episode. Before we get into our main topic of the day, though, let's talk about what is going on. And you know that in our popular culture, not a minute goes by, it seems, without controversy. And the latest major controversy in sports is that the NHL recently, in the name of inclusivity, had a Pride Night where they were celebrating everything LGBTQ and beyond. And they wanted their players that were in this game to wear a rainbow pride jersey for a warm-up before the game. Well, one player stood up to that mandate. So why have sports become so political? And when did professional sports become an arena for displaying social, political, and other beliefs for inclusivity? Why is it more important for an NFL hockey player to don a rainbow flag than, say, the American flag or his own nation's flag on the ice or maybe, I don't know, 
a Blue Lives Matter flag. So NFL hockey player Ivan Pravarov from the Philadelphia Flyers declined to wear a pride jersey. Well, why? Let's listen. I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. Any, like I said, that's all I'm going to comment on that. Um, if you have any hockey questions, I would like, I would answer those. Sounds reasonable enough, right? Well, the radical woke mob is up in arms. They're furious. This is not good enough. Hockey is for everyone. Dot dot dot. Unless unless you don't agree with gay rights, is not the phrasing of this. You're either in this or you're not. And one last point. Nothing scares me more than any human being who says, I'm not doing this because of my religious beliefs. Because when you looked at people's lives, you normally say that publicly, you'd throw up at what you saw. You would throw up at what you saw. And I've seen that a million times in a lot of different ways. So don't, don't give me that. I want to throw up from that shirt you're wearing there, pal. But the message is loud and clear. Provorov's move is supported and his jersey now is completely sold out on the NHL shop. Here to weigh in is former NHL star Ron Duguay. And by the way, when I saw the story, I called up my friend Ron and I, I said, Ron, and he said, I am, I'm fired up. And I said, you don't want to fire up Ron Duguay or you get checked right into the boards face first. Ron, which, which part of this story fires you up? Well, it's the zero tolerance, right? They talk about wanting tolerance and not accepting uh, Ivan's beliefs, which is Christian beliefs. And I guess if you're not a strong Christian man or person, then you don't quite understand what he's thinking, where he's coming from. And he's not protesting. He's not discriminating. He just said, look, I don't support that lifestyle according to my belief as a Christian man. I understand that. And that's all he was doing. He didn't do much more than anything else. He's not criticizing a person in particular. And that's where I have a problem with uh, analysts coming out and firing at him. Uh, with some of them saying you should go back to Russia. And um, and so I understand what he did, why he did it. And he's a good man. I love the fact that his teammates stood behind him. I like the fact that Coach John Tortorella stood behind him. They didn't want to make a big deal out of it. And the good news is they wasn't played, and they won the hockey game. Yeah, and so the Flyers didn't have an issue the coach didn't have an issue. Even the NHL that didn't necessarily have an issue, but it's it's some wacko talking head who's, who's got an issue. And by the way, it's America. It's it, you. Yes, you have freedom of expression, but you also have freedom not to express something you may not want to. And freedom of religion is our First Amendment to the Constitution, Ron. Okay, a couple points here. First of all, and this is a discussion that I have had on social media or at least a point that I have made on social media that if you want to call me a hater for having a Christian belief or an opposing belief than you, then you can say whatever you want. It's a free country. So you can say that I'm a hater. But the reality is that my faith teaches me to speak the truth in love. And the truth does not seem very loving to people who deny the truth. And so they are liable to label anyone a hater who does not agree with them. But this man did not do this out of hate. He was very calm, very relaxed. 
He said, this is what I believe. This is why I won't do it. And then what I really respected was it wasn't like he tried to come out for the warm-up, wore his regular jersey, and thumbed it in the face of everybody else that was wearing the pride jerseys. No, he just stayed in the locker room during the warm-ups and came out when the warm-ups were done. I have an immense amount of respect for the way that this man conducted himself, and I'm glad that he has not backed down. The truth of the matter is that just because I disagree with you does not mean that I'm a hater. If your definition of hate is disagreeing with you, then I suppose that I am a hater, but that is a very misinformed definition of hate. People are allowed in America to live the lives that they want. We always talk about the liberty to live the life that you want. But groups like this go beyond because they say it's not enough to be allowed to live the life that I want. You need to validate the life that I've chosen to live. And that is just not true. We are allowed to have differing views on things and we are allowed to express differing views. We have a unique opportunity here in the United States of America to do that. Many countries do not allow you to do that. Uh, In the UK, I've heard some stories recently of people being arrested for silent prayer in public places. So we're bringing this idea of policing morality to a level of not just actions, but also thoughts. And so I think it's so important for us to realize what this is and to pray for this man and to be grateful that he took the stand that he did because it's so easy to follow the crowd. That's really the concept behind when Nebuchadnezzar put the statue up and told his people to worship it. Everybody got together in this public forum. They were supposed to bow down and worship the statue and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood alone. Why? Because they had their spines stiffened by their relationship with Daniel and watching God answer prayer for them. Before the statue in the fiery furnace, they were tested by praying with Daniel that he would get the interpretation for the king's dream. And when that happened, they were able to see that God is at work, that he does care about them. And so they were prepared for the fiery furnace. And we have been so blessed here in America that we have not faced physical persecution to this point. But we definitely could be there in a number of years. We don't know what God has in store. But I know this. The truth of God does not change. And it will never change. And it's not my job to stay quiet. It's not my job to hang on to the bottom of my chair and pray that God rescues me from this earth so that I don't have to be persecuted. It is my job to shine brighter as things darken around me. Jesus said, 
You are the light of the world. Why are we the light of the world? Because we represent the one true light of the world, and that is Jesus. And when we shed light on the truth, the men of the world get upset. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. So I'm extremely grateful for this gentleman Popperoff and for his stand for the truth, his quiet but firm stand that he will not be swayed to do this thing. Because here's the thing, too, is they always say, just do this small thing and we'll leave you alone. But then what's the next thing? It's a slippery slope. And I just... I could feel the anger from that sports commentator who was saying that he should be fined a million dollars, or at least his team should. He expressed way more hate than Popperoff ever began to express. I find it sad and almost humorous that the left, in an attempt to say that they are tolerant, shows exactly the opposite. But as Jesus said, we need to pray for our enemies and be kind to those who spitefully use us. Perhaps this event could be the beginning of making this gentleman who was so full of hate rethink where he is with God. I don't know if that will happen, but it could. I think it's really strange to say that no one can force me to give birth. No one can force me to have a baby. No one can say what I can do with my body. But if you don't do what I say in putting on a jersey then you're wrong. And apparently, if you listen further to this angry man's rant, he even says that Paparov should go back to Russia. I mean, that's pretty severe, folks. Well, moving on, this past week was the 50th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision. And also the first March for Life since the fall of Roe versus Wade in June of last year. Now, despite the fact that Michigan on this issue is very liberal, I think we're probably at this point the third or fourth most liberal state in the nation when it comes to the killing of our unborn, there is still much to rejoice about. Because states have the individual opportunity and responsibility to set their course for how they will deal with the sanctity of human life. Many states to this point have either outright outlawed abortion or at least severely limited it like the six-week abortion ban in Texas and in other similar states or at least put more restrictions in place. So even though Michigan is lagging behind, we have much to be thankful for on the scope of the pro-life movement. 
But the theme of this year's March for Life was going forward in a post-Row America. And I was able to watch the rally on YouTube. And I just have a couple clips from it that I want to share with you today. This first one is from a Students for Life director at Liberty University. And she has a very personal story to tell about why she is pro-life. Good afternoon, pro-life generation. How are we feeling? My name is Summer Smith, and I'm the Students for Life president at Liberty University. Go Flames! I got involved in the pro-life movement after finding out in high school that I have a sibling in heaven due to abortion. My mom was an 18-year-old senior about to graduate when she found out she was pregnant. And like most women in her situation, didn't feel prepared or ready to have a child, and my heart aches for what she went through. It's a very hard and scary situation, and instead of feeling safe enough to reach out for support, my mom felt afraid and alone. And the reason that I am pro-life is because I don't want anyone to have to go through what my mother went through, and that is why I marched today. There are women all around the globe who still feel that exact same way, but the answer lies in helping them and giving them the support that they need in that moment. Praise the Lord for the people who have worked so hard for the past 50 years to make sure Roe v. Wade was reversed. Yeah. But this is only the beginning. We have to support women in need now more than ever. For me, being pro-life is personal. And I know all of you have reasons that you're pro-life too. But I get asked all the time, how do I get involved, especially as a young person? First, speak the truth and use your voice. Tell your story. You each have a platform, whether you realize it or not. For our generation, it's typically social media. So post your pro-life graphics. Speak out about the beauty of life on an Instagram Live. Wear pro-life merch in your photos and speak up about abortion in your family, your friend group, and on your campus. And speak with love and compassion. And do the research yourself. Our generation is constantly being influenced by the false media and pro-abortion politicians. Look into the facts for yourself. As much as I believe what the Bible says about abortion, there is so much more than scripture to back up the pro-life movement. We can persuade hearts and minds about this truth inside the womb using every fact and data point available. Our faith must be well-reasoned and well-informed. And finally, get involved hands-on in the pro-life movement. Get involved at your amazing local pregnancy crisis centers. And get involved at your local pro-life chapter. If our generation doesn't step up and care for the child, the mother, and the father, this noble movement and this sacred effort will die. We cannot stand idle or stay silent. So get involved. We only have one life on this earth, one chance to end abortion, one chance to support women like my mom. I encourage you to stand courageously for truth in love, to see innocent life protected. God bless you all. Thank you. I just want to say how grateful I am for Summer and for her work with Students for Life. It gives me hope for the next generation. I think one of the ironies about abortion 
is that it basically says, I want to snuff out the next generation. So logically, the pro-life generation should win just because they do not believe in snuffing out their future. The sad reality is that on both the pro-life and the pro-choice sides, people are having less kids because they have bought the lie that children are an inconvenience to be avoided or at the very least to be scheduled carefully. I know I've said this before, so I'm not going to spend 10 minutes on it or anything, but please hear me when I say that we need to get away from this mindset that children are an inconvenience or that things hard must be shunned. I saw a recent post from a radio show that I listened to where one of the DJs was going to a football game with his wife, which is a great thing. Nothing wrong with it. But I didn't like the way they framed the post. Because the framing of the post was, we're going to do this because we're going to start a family soon and then we won't be able to do fun stuff. And I think that is so sad to frame things in that way. Yes, things will change. Yes, it is a greater level of responsibility. But the way that the post was framed, it was almost like, I'm, I can only have kids when I'm willing to give up everything good about my life, as if the kids are not a good thing. We have similar jokes when it comes to people getting married. People call your future spouse your ball and chain, or they say that your uh, time as a bachelor, as it comes to an end, that's your bachelor party or, or spending time with your friends is a last dose of freedom. Instead of realizing that God gave us marriage, God gave us children as gifts, do we even realize and think about that one of the only things that God directly calls a blessing in Scripture is children? So we need to get away from this mindset that hard work is to be avoided. We need to get away from this mindset that children are an inconvenience because God calls them a blessing. So my challenge to you is to have God's opinion of children run through your thoughts and hearts. And God's opinion of children is suffer the little children to come unto me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. So that is to be your view on children if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this next clip that I want to share with you from the March for Life 2023 rally is Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus on The Chosen. You have chosen to journey to our nation's capital today, not only to mourn the 64 million children lost through abortion over the last 50 years, but to champion those yet to be born 
on the road to their own birth, made in the image of the Creator Himself, and to testify to the miraculous sanctity of life itself, as expressed in the divine poetry of Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my eyes unformed. You saw your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Having lived under a grim cloud of darkness, for the last 50 years, the world has once again been given a glimmer of hope. And I pray that with this recent step in protecting life, despite the grievous nature of what we've allowed, that God might still look upon us in his infinite mercy and see the hearts of those of us here in support of life today and say to us in this hour, it is good. And it is good, but it is far from finished. Newton's law of motion says that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. This also applies to the spiritual realm. Having played the Son of God for the last three seasons on a television show you may have heard of called The Chosen, I've spent a lot of time dwelling in the realm of spirit through prayer, meditation, and the sacraments of my faith. Let me tell you, it changes you from the inside out, and that's a good thing, but it can be scary, because you see, you begin to see the truth manifest itself in all areas of your life, like a veil that has been lifted, and you can't unsee what you have seen. God begins to give you glimpses of more of everything, inviting you to journey to go deeper with him. But, just as God is real, Satan is also real. And I'm not talking about the simplistic cartoon of some dude with horns and a tail. I'm talking about the father of lies, the great deceiver, the diabolical slanderer who pushes you to doubt when you know in your heart the right thing to do. And he is not a give up, about to give up this fight either. In fact, he's doubling down because guess what? His time is limited. So he's throwing everything that he has at the world and all of us in it. And countless are being deceived as a result. But that's his job. He wants your and my destruction. He wants us to believe that abortion does not harm us individually and as a society. So please, I beg of you, pray for those who do not have the faith, the strength, the clarity of purpose that you here do. People ask me, how do you try to emulate Jesus in your own life when playing him? Well, loving my enemies, praying for those who persecute me and those who may protest me is the first place that I have to start. But remember, my dear friends, we know how the story ends. God won. I was moved 
by that speech. And I really just wanted to share a little bit of it from you. It's available as an individual YouTube video and also as a part of the march as a whole. I'm so grateful that Jonathan took the time to stand for life. You know, it's one thing to read about someone having a deep faith and wanting to serve the Lord, but it's another thing for them to take a public stand to know that ridicule could follow them because of what they have said. And sadly, among people that watch The Chosen, there may even be disagreement on this issue. But I'm so grateful that Jonathan took the opportunity to stand for life and to encourage the people that were there for the 50th annual March for Life. And as was said throughout the rally, this is just the beginning of our duty as pro-lifers. Roe has fallen. So now it's an opportunity for us to say, what are we going to do in the wake of its falling? For one thing, I'm going to continue to affirm life at every juncture. I was once told by someone that I should stop beating a dead horse. But the reason that this is such an important issue for me is that it is a matter of life and death, literally. And so I will never stop talking about this issue because it is the most important issue that we are faced with. When you read the Declaration of Independence, it starts with self-evident truths, the first of which is life, followed by liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But you don't get liberty and the pursuit of happiness without first having life. Life is the most fundamental of all rights because without life, you can exercise no other rights. That's just the facts, folks. It's really undisputable if you think about it through a logical lens. And I really hope that these speeches that you heard today from the March for Life encourage you. I know that as I was watching the march the other day that it was redoubling my efforts to continue to speak on this important topic and to stand for life. God said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, Behold, I have set before you life and death. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. And we need to do that. It is of the utmost importance. Your future children and your grandchildren are counting on you. Well, as I said, today we're going to talk about reading, and I'm going to give you my five best reads of 2022. I really enjoy doing these podcasts and sharing the joy of reading with my audience. I grew up um, watching Reading Rainbow and just learning to love reading. My mom read to me as a young child. Um, Little House on the Prairie, Charlotte's Web, The Trumpet of the Swan, Stuart Little, and the Ramona books, just to name a few. So I am a living testimony to the power of 
being read to as a child. And now I read all the time. I remember being in school, sitting in study hall with my students a couple of years ago, and I was asking a student about his homework, and then I think I asked him something about books that he reads, and he says, I don't read. And then he asked me how many books I had read that year or something to that effect, and I told him 12. And we were sitting there in March, and he's like, how could you have read 12 books in that length of time? And I said, well, I just I just like to read, and I have a lot of time on my hands. As I alluded to earlier in the podcast, I was doing a lot of commuting back then because of work, and so I just had a lot of time to read, and I love to read. And so I was just trying to encourage reading in an era where we don't do enough of it. I think that reading, more than any other medium, challenges us to ask questions, and to form our own opinions. I know it's a cliche, but I do believe that readers are leaders, and so I really want to encourage you to share with your children the importance of reading. And so my hope is that by sharing this list of my favorite books from last year, that it will encourage you with some good reads, especially in this time of year where we're not doing as many outside activities. So it's a great time to snuggle up with a good book. Our quote of the day is from author Kate DiCamillo, and she says, Reading should not be presented to children as a chore or duty, It should be offered to them as a precious gift. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about how we frame discussions. And so when we talk about reading, we need to frame it as something that is such a privilege and a gift. Uh, There are places in the world that would love to be able to read, let alone love to be able to have books. And most of you who are listening, are within decent driving distance of a library or you have bookstores around you, have many opportunities to procure books and to read books. And one great opportunity that I have found over the last several years is overdrive through my library. I no longer have to go to the library to get my books because I can download ebooks and audiobooks right to my computer and I never even have to leave my house to get good reading materials. So that has been a blessing to me and I would encourage you if you are in a place where you have a good local library, check with them, see if they use Overdrive and start utilizing that as a enhancement to your reading journeys. So the first book that I have to share with you today is Born to Fly, and this is by country singer Sarah Evans. This is a book that I had on my to-read list for quite a while, and I decided to start the year with it last year. And I was pleasantly surprised by how much I liked it and how encouraged I was by it. Um, She talks about what it means to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, which I was surprised 
how frankly she dealt with that. But she talks about the struggles of life, growing up in a divorced household and learning to love music and getting started on her musical career and all of the ups and downs of life and how divorce impacted her own life and her children and how she found a love a second time. Um, and at least at the time of the writing, things were going really well with her blended family. Now, in full disclosure, since I read this book, I believe she's at least separated again, if not divorced a second time, which is extremely sad. Um, but I don't think it takes away from the overall encouragement of this book. Um, she seems like the kind of person uh, that I would enjoy spending time with and she wrote from a place of great encouragement. And I was just filled with uh, joy and optimism from having read this book. So my first selection is Born to Fly by Sarah Evans. My second selection actually has a little bit of controversy tied to it, which I was not anticipating. But it is Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. Why do I say there's controversy? Well, number one, because a couple of years ago, I started using Goodreads, uh, the website, as a way to track my reading. And on Goodreads, you go on and you put in the book that you're reading, and then when you're done reading it, you say, I'm finished, and it adds it to your read list, and then you can track how many books you've read, how many pages you've read, and a bunch of different unique stats about the year. And part of that site is being able to write a review of the books that you read. I don't review every book that I read, but if a book has particularly impacted me, I will leave a review. One thing I noticed as I was looking at the reviews for Redeeming Love is that there were some people who said that it was too graphic even as a Christian novel um, to be good for a Christian to read. And this was further enhanced by the fact that it became a motion picture last spring. And again, some people did not like the depiction of that on screen. I would just say as a proviso that it's not for everyone. And if you choose not to read it, I will not think less of you for making that decision. But I have to say that I believe that it's a very powerful book. I actually read it a second time as the second book that I read uh, this year. It's kind of interesting that my first two books made my top five for the whole year. But I, I was rereading it in anticipation of the movie. And this is actually a retelling uh, of the book of Hosea in the form of a story about the 1850s in the West, in the United States. And Francine Rivers has said that this is one of the most personal books that she's written. So there's some biographical stuff in here. But the basic premise is that Angel uh, is a prostitute. God somehow communicates to Michael Hosea that he's supposed to uh, marry her. Angel wants nothing to do with him at first, but he eventually rescues her from being abused and marries her and takes her home. 
And then in the ensuing months, you see their relationship grow. Uh, but every time Angel starts to feel close to him, then she feels unworthy, so then she leaves. And she continues to mess up her life, and Michael Hosea continues to show God's love to her. And one of the most telling parts of the book is when he says to her, I love you, and I will care for you and protect you as much as I can, but I cannot be your savior. Only Christ can do that. And once she surrenders to Christ, she is able to then eventually come back to him and stay his wife for good. But there's a lot of twists and turns along the way. It's a fairly long book, but I think it's worth reading. And uh, there are some theatrical decisions I might not have made with the film, but I still think that the film is worth watching and I did review it on my podcast, so you can go back into the archives. Just click on the movie reviews playlist on my audio website, and you can find all of my movie reviews there, including Redeeming Love. So Redeeming Love is my second choice for top reads for the year 2022. Uh, the Baxters is my third choice. Now, The Baxters is a book by Karen Kingsbury. I actually was able to read it before it came out to the general public. And this is a continuation, um, or rather a prequel to the Baxter's novels that Karen Kingsbury has been writing for many, many years. I wonder if Gary Smalley had any idea when they first put together the initial series uh, as a tandem, he and Karen, that she would still be writing 20, 25, even 30 years later about this family. But she still is. They still are a popular part of what she writes. And she decided to write this prequel. And as with all of her other books, I was moved and... I thought there was a depth there. There were discussions there that really can benefit you as you're navigating the Christian life. It's life-changing fiction is what she calls it, and I think in a lot of ways it is. It is a little challenging to read a prequel because you're basically reading about all of the things that lead up to the first novel and all of the problems that the family had to navigate um, and so you get foreshadowing of all that. So that kind of makes it difficult to read. But I always feel better and energized and enthused when I read Karen Kingsbury. And this is no exception. So the Baxters would be my third choice. Something that I kind of got into over the last couple of years is reading Beverly Lewis. I had never read a Beverly Lewis book, I think, until about two years ago. And I started reading them, and they actually are very well written, very well done. And the one that I have to share with you today is The Mercy. And The Mercy is the last book in the Rose Kaufman trilogy. Um, and there's basically two main storylines. One is Rose trying to navigate life and trying to deal with the fact that she 
loves an Englisher. Someone who used to be Amish was actually adopted into the Amish and then left. Uh, but she's feeling the tug that she loves him. And then on the other side, you have her sister who married an Englisher who is trying to stay faithful to her marriage, but her husband is making it increasingly difficult and she feels the tug back to her old ways. And I just feel like the redemption and the story of navigating the ups and downs and all the trials of life that these people go through make this a worthwhile trilogy to read. I love the fact that Beverly Lewis puts it all out there as far as her Christian faith and that the only way to navigate these challenges is Jesus. So again, encourage you to check out The Mercy by Beverly Lewis. Now, it is the third in a trilogy, so I'd encourage you to read the first two before you read The Mercy. But I think that you uh, will enjoy it and I think it will be beneficial to you. This fifth title that I had to share with you today is the only one that does not have a Christian focus. This one is a history. It's called The First Conspiracy. It's by Brad Metzger and Josh Mensch. And it really tells a story of the American Revolution that has not really been told. And that is that there was actually a plot uncovered to assassinate George Washington. Again, it's a very little talked about, little known part of U.S. history, but it was very exciting and very informative. And I think that if you like American history, you will like it. Because sometimes when we are studying American history, especially if, like me, you are a U.S. history buff, you can sometimes start to say, well, I know U.S. history. I pretty much know what there is to know about U.S. history. But then you read a book like this and you're like, well, that was very interesting. Uh, That was something that I hadn't considered before. And I definitely think that it's important to consider things that we have not considered before. So there you have my five top reads for 2022 I hope that you will find some quality reading here. And if you like what I've shared, then please contact me and let me know what you think of these titles. If you have some favorite books that you read last year that you want to share, please feel free to reach out to me with either an email or a voicemail on my blog. And if you do share those things with me, I may share them on a future episode of the podcast. Well, that's about all the time I have for today. I hope that you have been encouraged. If you have been encouraged, please share with your family and friends and write a review on whatever podcast platform you may be using. With that being said, I will see you in February. Have an awesome week and keep serving the best of masters.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 